Good morning. Good morning. I, um, I, I think most of you didn't realize I was coming back or you would have skipped. Uh, so uh, I apologize for that. Well, last week we took a look at um, a, a discipline, a, a spiritual attitude that we should be developing with regard to our speech. Uh, this morning I'd like to... I'd like to take a look at another one of those disciplines, another one of those spiritual attitudes that we need to cultivate and we need to work on. I'm going to be looking at the the idea of developing a disciplined uh, approach to uh, trials and perseverance. So my hope is that this is more encouraging than it is uh, than it is convicting as as last week. But I'm not promising that because even in the study of this, it was uh, there was a lot of conviction in this in my own life. So, uh, as I stated again, we are going to be looking at a disciplined, pers- uh, disciplined use of perseverance or developing perseverance. So, uh, begin in, 19, in 1994, uh, taking a trip to Wisconsin, Pastor Scott Wills and his wife and six of their nine children were involved in a horrific traffic accident. While driving down the interstate, a, the van drove over a piece of metal that struck the gas tank of the van and immediately caused the van to catch fire. When the van came to a stop, both Scott and his wife managed to break free of their seatbelts and roll out of the car. However, all but one of the six children in the car had died instantly in the blast, with that last remaining child dying the next day. In an interview sometime later, Scott's wife Janet recounted, how she remembered looking back at the van and screaming in horror. Scott took hold of her and said, Janet, this is what we've been prepared for. It was quick, and they are with the Lord. Scott, in an interview later, would say, I know God has purposes and God has reasons. God has demonstrated his love to us and our family. There is no question in our minds that God is good, and we praise him in all things. Janet would add that this is right that he is right, and we belong to him, and my children belong to him. He is the giver of life, and he is the sustainer of us. How easy would it have been for this couple to be flung headlong into an all-consuming depression? Tragedies less intense than this have shaken marriages and families apart. Yet faced with the unimaginable horror of this event, the wills chose instead to glorify God. This is not an uncommon story. We even see accounts like this in the pages of Scripture. For example, in Job chapter 1, we see, Now, on that day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabans attacked and took them. And slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire from God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made raids on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. 
And behold, a great wind from across the wilderness came and struck all four corners of the house and fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. When faced with this news that came literally right after another, the, other, the guy didn't finish giving a report before the next guy showed up and said, hey, something else you love dearly has been taken from you. Verse 20 says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin or blame God. We look at examples like this, and what remains clear is that these people trusted God implicitly. This kind of response in the midst of difficult circumstances does not just happen. It is born out of a life that has been cultivated a discipline of perseverance, has cultivated an attitude of faithfulness and trust in the Lord. A life that over the course of the day-to-day -day grind and daily living and all the mundane things is given over to the Lord. This is the faith that is gained from trusting God in the small things and yields the faith that we need to trust Him when big things arise. Why is it so important that we persevere through difficulties? We should why should we persevere in the midst of trials? To persevere means to persist, to be in a state or enterprise or undertaking in spite of counter-influence, opposition, or discouragement. Why do we develop this? Well, for one, we see that God has, well, we're going to be digging into it in a little more detail, but the Bible gives us some motivation right away. We see in Romans chapter 5, for example, verse 3, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance a proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through Jesus, the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We see also in James chapter 3, sorry, James chapter 1. We looked at James chapter 3 last week. James chapter 1, when he tells us, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We want to cultivate a discipline of perseverance, an attitude that trusts God in all things, then we need to understand that suffering is a part of life. It wasn't always meant to be. God didn't create it that way. When God created Adam and Eve and, and, and everything in the garden, he also didn't create suffering. Suffering came into the world as a result of the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. So it is a part of our life now. It is a permanent, at least right now, reminder of the sin which permeates all of creation. But it is also not, or I say that not to be in the double negative, it is also not outside, there we go, of the control of God. 
You see, the Lord uses suffering. He uses trials in our lives to do things. James tells us perseverance. Paul tells us hope. This morning I want to look at just three reasons. Hey, just three. There are more reasons why we need to develop this kind of attitude faced with difficulties. Because they're not fun, right? Bad stuff happens. Our first response is this. I don't want this to happen. Don't let this happen, Lord, please. We want it to end. We try and short-circuit the process. But God is too good to allow us to miss out on what he is training us for. Suffering is God's means of perfecting us. Suffering is God's means of spreading the gospel. And the third point we want to look at this morning is in persevering through suffering, we can see God. For our first point, God's means of perfecting us. Okay, I want to note, oh, uh, just so we have this in the back of our minds, okay, that, just be, uh, that because of our faith that we've received from God, we are already acceptable to him. Okay, after our conversion, we are already in a state of acceptance by God because of the merited grace he shows to us in Jesus' sacrifice. We, we're, we're not persevering through trials to gain something from God. We're not doing it so that God likes us better. God already loves us. He's already forgiven us in Christ. No amount of testing or trials or anything we can do can make us more or less acceptable to him. We are already saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Make this perfectly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, as a result, not as a result of works, that no one can boast. Okay? We can do nothing to save ourselves. Okay? We are dead in our sins and trespasses. When we come into this world, I, last week I told you about the dead rabbit that was in my yard. Okay? I had a problem. I needed it out of my yard before my kids saw it. I asked it politely. It didn't move. Okay? It was dead. It wasn't going anywhere. And that was us. And God intervened in our lives supernaturally, pulling us into grace. So I don't want what I say this morning to come across as though we persevere through trials and that somehow gains us something from God, that we, that, 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 that we gain more favor, we gain more acceptance, we gain more love, because it can't happen. And with all of that being said, suffering and, per, and per, uh, perseverance does serve a purpose. It does help us grow in maturity with our, with our faith. The Bible is clear that the maturing process involves tests and trials of our faith. We are stretched and we grow. There are two main words used in the Bible for testing or trials. The first denotes a refining process. If you've ever seen footage of blacksmiths working or 
you couldn't sleep one night, and so you, you hopped online and you saw people melting aluminum cans into knives, which is a thing people do for some reason, but it's cool. You see, they melt all of that metal down, and what floats to the top is all the impurities. And the metallurgist scrapes that gunk off the top of it, throws it away, allows the metal to cool, does it again until what he's left with is pure. This is the refining process. Another Greek term used for trials and suffering is found in two places in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 3. We said that says that uh, consider a joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, that's there's our term right there. In James chapter 113, let no man say when he is tempted. That same Greek word is translated testing and tempting in that one chapter in, in James. And that comes down to the context of which the trial or test is found. In his commentary on James, MacArthur explains that when a believer responds in faithful obedience to God's word, he has successfully endured a trial. When he succumbs to it in the flesh, doubting God, he is tempted. It is we who turns occasions of testing into temptation. As believers, we will face many tests and trials through our lives. And if we have any hope of maturing in our faith, we must endure them. The life of the Apostle Peter shows us what a transformed life looks like when the gospel is introduced. And we know Peter started out as a fisherman, made a lot of really uh, unwise decisions, was very exuberant, made a lot of bold claims. Those bold claims culminating in Luke chapter 22. We see in Luke chapter 22 in verses 31 through 34, we see Jesus talking to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. We see it play out beginning in verse 57, and we see Peter fail his test. But Peter has denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. After the resurrection, though, after Jesus has visited Peter, we see a change in him. Peter, who was who becomes fearless in the face of struggles and trials and even threats. The same Peter who a few months ago denied even knowing Jesus stands before the whole of Jerusalem and proclaims, Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What changed? 
Peter endured a trial in his faith so great it caused him to tailspin. Where was he when Jesus came looking for him? He was fishing. He gave up. He went back to fishing. Jesus went and pulled him back and said, Simon, feed my sheep. Peter faced many tests and trials in his life. And he begun to be perfected, that is, matured through suffering. He persevered to the end. Peter went on to face opposition and repeated attacks from the Jewish religious leaders and attacks by Satan to end the church early. We see that Peter was allowed to be sifted by Satan, but Jesus interceded for him. This highlights a key reality of the Christian life. That being that God is in complete control and Jesus is acting on our behalf as our mediator. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Therefore he is able to save forever all those who draw near to him, to God through Jesus, since he always is making intercession for them. Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We have, because of the current ministry of the Lord Jesus, a power of intercession, enabling us to persevere in the midst of difficulties. And some of these sifting opportunities that, that we get to endure may go on for long periods of time. And you may know, I, I know, some people who go through difficulties that last a long time. Okay? We ourselves may be experiencing this kind of struggle. We may become intimately acquainted with fear and with pain, with discouragement and sadness and uncertainty. But this period of our lives is being used by God to prove our faith and to perfect our faith. Perseverance plays an enormous role in our faith. It is one of the main components of what we know as the doctrines of grace. Put simply, the person who does not endure in the midst of a trial or difficult circumstances is someone who may not have true, genuine faith. Even if they had professed faith at one point, if a person does not persevere in the midst of trials, tests, in difficult circumstances, their faith might not be genuine. Jesus himself taught this in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 20. The one, who, the one whom the seed has sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflicted or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. 
fact is we endure trials to show that our faith is real. Now, I said just a 45 seconds ago that our faith proves, trials and perseverance prove our faith. And I want to make it clear that we're not proving anything to God. Okay, so let's put that out of our mind. We're not proving to God that our faith is genuine. He already knows. He's the one that saved us. The proof is for us. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and the Lord stops him right before killing Isaac and says, I know now that you you, you believe in me. He's not really saying that God himself has discovered something new today. This The test was for Abraham to understand that he his faith was real. We can sometimes doubt our faith in the midst of a trial. However, if we endure it, we can take great hope knowing that our faith is real. So persevering is God's ways of perfecting us. Number two, it is a means of spreading the gospel. When we persevere through trials, we make a bold proclamation about the gospel. The tragedy that the wills experienced was used to shine a spotlight on the good news of Jesus Christ. In our sinfulness and in our flesh, by our human nature, we like to we re, typically react in anger or hostility toward God when trials come into our lives. Okay? Before conversion, think about that. Something difficult happened. It wasn't like, yay. Was, Are you kidding me? We curse God. We blaspheme him. We declare such nonsense like, how dare you? I'm a good person. However, for the Christian, in persevering, we proclaim Christ. This is the kind of life that is a living witness before people. This tackling of hardships, all the while trusting God to carry us through, shows the watching world that our faith is not imagined but is real. It is active. It is growing. It is unhindered by any momentary hardship. Patiently living through a trial, all the while trusting in the Lord has a result. Hey, we, we looked at it earlier. And it is produces an endurance. A, a staying power in the midst of difficulties. That develops in us. In the same way a marathon runner trains by running longer and longer distances, something I don't understand and will never do, it gives them the endurance to run the full marathon. So too, enduring a trial produces in us an, an ability to outlast a struggle, even a lifelong one, because at the end, life ends. And a new life begins. We could spend our life 
with difficulties that go on for years and years and years and doesn't end. And I don't say any of that to diminish the pain or the suffering of anyone in this room. But in the end, this life will end. There is, for the believer, an end. There is a finish line. We will not carry our struggle into the next life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10 through 10 say, Because of the surpassing greatness, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's life was filled with difficulties. It was filled with struggle. He was beaten, was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was imprisoned a second time. And all the while, awaiting execution, he still says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also all those who loved his appearing. Paul knew that what awaited him on the other side of death far outweighed the struggles of his life. All of the opposition he faced, all of the beatings he endured, his thorn in the flesh, all of it was completely wiped away by the coming grace in the next life. And he allowed that knowledge to shape his interactions with others. The world needs Jesus. It needs to see Jesus' followers showing that he's worth it. How we handle trials shows a watching world what we really think of Jesus. They will see our faith come alive in struggles. So what will they see? Will they see us patiently endure, worshiping the Lord, or will we complain? Are we going to throw in the towel and walk away? Is our faith nothing more than, than platitudes of an easy life? We need never forget that what's at stake is the gospel itself. When we can use our trials, we can use our suffering, we can use them as a witness both as we walk through them, but also the fact that we gain a knowledge and that knowledge gained can be helped, can we can use to help other people that may be going through these things. 
We patiently endure a trial. We endure a lifelong trial. We can use what we've learned to come alongside someone weaker than us and encourage them. We can help them see the one who heals all wounds, the Lord Jesus. That brings us to our third point. One of the things that we can see, especially when we look back on a trial in our lives, is God. Now, I don't mean that God knocks on the door, we open it, and he's there standing there with his big box of tools to fix the problem that we've got going on. But the Lord carries people through difficult circumstances. The evidences of which can be seen throughout the struggle. Think back for a moment on a particularly difficult situation that you may have been you may have been enduring or are currently. Can't can't you see God's fingerprints on those? Now it wasn't fun when it was happening. It may not be fun right now, but you can certainly see how the Lord is guiding the circumstance. It's never outside of his control. As a matter of fact, it was perfectly crafted for us. We're not just stuck in a difficult circumstance. God has handcrafted a difficult circumstance for us. He made it for us. God's sovereignty, God sovereignly and providentially arranges all of the events in our lives from start to finish. Not just the good ones, but the bad ones as well. Sometimes we get in the, we get in the thinking of something bad happens, we must have done something or or uh, we, may not, we may not vocalize it this way, but that only God had done something different or the, the basic gist of it comes out that it must have been outside of God's control. He, maybe he blinked at that moment and, and Satan was able to mess up a whole bunch of stuff. It's simply not the case. Job, after he had everything taken away from him, after he lost all that he had, his children, his servants, his livestock, he lost the respect of his friends and his wife. States in Job 42.5, I have heard of you by the hearing of your ear, but now I see, my eyes see you. We can think of the prophet Habakkuk. I'm holding this, but I forgot about it. The book of Habakkuk serves to a, a sort of a conversational dialogue between the prophet and God concerning the rebellious uh, Judah. We see in verses uh, 1 and 4 of Habakkuk 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk is shocked at all the evil going on around him in the nation of Judah. And he cries out to God, God, how long are you going to let this go on? It's pretty bad here. There are some pretty bad folks here. Aren't, aren't you going to deal with this? 
Rebecca gets his answer. And it is not the one he expected. Verses 5 and 6. Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, and wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. Habakkuk hears this. Responses, what? Verse 13, why do you look favorably upon those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked are swallowed up those more righteous than they? God, what are you doing? I mean, I said the Judeans were, they were pretty bad, but the Chaldeans? By comparison, they're... They're the we're the most God-fearing people there ever is. We're the nicest folk. We're, we're a nation of Mr. Rogers compared to these people. What are you doing? <coughs> we see after some back and forth between the prophet that he gains understanding, the understanding that God is in control of all things. He raises up nations. He puts them down. That even though something horrible may be unfolding, it is only because, one, God has allowed it, two, God has ordained it, and three, because it brings about the most glory for himself. That's something we forget, too. You know, this, this is a horrible situation. This is, this is not fun. Well, it was perfectly crafted by God to bring about the most glory for him and our good. That bit's tacked on the end. It's all about God's glory. You know, some people ask, why did God allow sin to come into the world? Because in eternity past, he predetermined with, within himself what was going to bring about the most glory for himself. That's it. Everything, the entire drama of human existence and death and suffering and trials and us being just very unkind to one another. All of that was worth it because in the end it brings about the most glory for God and that is all that we could ever want out of our life to bring the most glory to God. The God who is in control at the helm, how can we say anything differently than David in Psalm 119 when he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We have a God who is in complete control over all of life's events. He knows what he is doing. And if we look for him in the midst of our trials and circumstances, we can see he is there. He has not left. He has not abandoned us. He is right there stretching us. Growing us. Now, we are not all called to run the same race. Some of us in here will experience testing and trials to various, well, all of us, all of us, trial, I don't want you to think that that's not happening. Okay? Trials are, are part of life. That's why James says when you encounter various trials, not if. All of us in here will experience trials, but they will all be to differing extents. They could be relational, 
It could be loneliness. It could be failure, illness, financial, and in some cases, persecution for religious reasons. However, we must, we must endure them regardless. And I want to say, first of all, I would encourage everyone in here, don't compare your life to someone else's. We can do that, especially when things are down for us. We can look at somebody else and go, how come my life isn't like theirs? Why am I always striving? Why are things difficult for me and not them? Don't compare yourself to other people because we never know what somebody else is dealing with. Our trials are handcrafted by God for us. Theirs are handcrafted by God for them. We must never be jealous of someone else's life because God has crafted ours just the way he wanted it. We must all run our own race. We must put the gospel on display we must show the watching world the worth of Jesus compared to this life. Emptiness, vapidness. Biblical Christianity is really the only is the is the only sure footing one can have in this life. Without the Lord, the foundation that a person is left with is worse than than, than sinking sand. Hopelessness per, per, is pervasive in the unbelieving world. In these past two years, you think about all the people that have committed suicide. They, they can't bear it. They have no hope. We do. We should never give up in the face of what seems like overwhelming odds. But instead, we need to keep looking toward Christ. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Without Christ, it is impossible to cultivate this attitude of persevering. We are saved by grace. We need to remember that God has pulled us through every struggle that we have faced and he will continue to do so. Our faith allows us to know that God helps us when we are in need. I've, I've mentioned it a few times in James chapter 1, verse 3. says, knowing that, the testing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When James says here, knowing, that Greek term is more than just merely having a head knowledge of something. You want, it's not just knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. He's speaking of an experiential knowledge. You have experienced this. Think, James says, you know that when you encounter trials that God carried you through before, he will do it again. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly about the gospel of grace. That is what we need to do. Testify solemnly about the gospel of grace. Not 
focusing on our own lives and the difficulties we may be experiencing, but instead on understanding that everything that is given to us is given to us to show the gospel to the unbelieving world. As we close, I'd encourage everyone in here to make the prayer of their heart be that as we live this life, that will be filled with difficulties, will be filled with suffering, that the prayer of our heart may be seen, like Paul states in 2 Thessalonians 3.5, may the Lord direct our hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. That is what everything is about. It doesn't matter what is happening to us. It is all about Christ. So we need to persevere in the midst of trials because it grows us in our faith. It matures us in our faith. But it is also a gospel witness. We are to use everything that we have to show Jesus, even difficulties. Yeah, we're going we're to end early today. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. You are so kind. You give us everything that we need. You help us. When good stuff happens, you, Lord, you bless us and we thank you for those blessings. You have blessed us immensely. And if we stopped to think for a moment, we could see all the ways that you've been, you've been with us, caring for us, providing for us. But Lord, we know that you are also there when things are not going well when things are not fun, when things are not joyful. Father, we understand that even in these things, they are from you. And it is because we know that they are from you that under the sadness, under the struggle, under it all, we can have an underlying attitude of joy because we know that our Creator is with us. He is caring for us. We know that you love us and you will not abandon us. And we can cling to that in the midst of the darkest times that we, we have in this life. We know that there is a light in that darkness and it is you. And we thank you, Lord, for your concern for us. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for carrying us at times, Lord. I pray that we would use everything that you've given us, our words, our attitudes, our actions, that it would all be used to show others the immense worth of your son, Jesus. He's the goal of all things and should be our goal in everything that we do, in every attitude we have, in every word that we say. Let us proclaim you and give glory in all circumstances to you, Lord. You and you alone are worthy. Lord, again, I want to bring up these prayer requests that were mentioned this morning. I pray that you would work in the lives of not just the individuals, but also the families connected. That you would show your love to them. That you would comfort them so that you would be glorified 
in everything that we do and everything that we say. I pray now as we prepare our hearts for the main service that you would enable us to hear your word, internalize it, and allow it to motivate our actions and attitudes. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In your son's name we pray. Amen.